Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're looking at Kerwin hand signs. You can find the accompanying article for this episode at colorfulkeys.ie slash one three six. Hey there, wonderful teachers. I hope you're having a fabulous week. We're looking at Kerwin hand signs in this episode, and whether you've heard of them or not, I'm hoping to give you a full rundown here so that you feel confident if you want to try and use these in your studio. The Kerwin hand signs are something you may have seen even if you've never actually heard that word before. So these are the hand signs that often go along with sulfa. So do, for example, is a fist. Each sulfa syllable has a hand sign to go with it. It's like a sign language just for the sulfa scale. Why would you want to use hand signs for the sulfa scale? The reason these are useful is that it provides a movement to go along with the pitch that we're singing. Moving our bodies at the same time as singing and thinking and using our voices gives us another way to understand what we're doing. It engages another part of our brains, which means that we work more actively and understand what we're doing. Using hand signs also means that you have a way of working on inner hearing with your students, which we'll get into more a little bit later in this episode. First of all, let's just go through the actual Kerwin hand signs and where they came from. So I'll describe them very briefly, but obviously it's easier to see them. So if you go to the article for this show, you will find pictures of each of them. You can also look up them in action if you want to see them that way on YouTube and watch a video there. Do is a loose fist, as I said. Re is then a slanting upwards hand. Mi is a flat hand, like parallel to the floor. Ba looks like a thumbs down that's facing you. Fi, which is the raised fa, we'll come back to that idea in a second, that's like a thumbs up with your palm facing you. So is a flat hand with the palm facing you. Si is slightly slanted upwards version of so. Again, that's a raised so, so we'll talk about those in a second. La is a loose hand facing down. If you imagine if you just flop your hand and let it fall, that's kind of what la looks like. And then T is pointing gently upwards. So the hand signs have an internal logic to them, which makes a lot of sense once you see them in action. Do is this solid fist. Ray is going upwards towards me, which is flat, and me is more of a landing point, right? Ray feels like you're floating in space. Well, that's how I think of it anyway. 
That is that slightly odd thumbs down one, which makes sense because of the semitone nature. So they do have a logic to them, but mostly they're just about having a system of movement that corresponds to pitch that is universal or universal among the people that use it. A lot of people use these hand signs in particular. They're the most popular, I'd say. So the hand signs themselves came from a guy called John Kerwin. And he developed them after he saw the work of Sarah Glover. So Sarah Glover was working in Norwich and she was working with a church choir, a Sunday school choir. She wanted them to sing a cappella, and they were having trouble learning how to sing. So she needed a system. And that's when she unearthed this idea of salsa. So salsa goes back to Guido D'Arezzo and his work. He's also the creator of our modern music notation, or at least the origins of that. And there's a wonderful picture book about Guido. If you haven't seen it before, it's so beautiful. It's called Do Re Mi. If you can read music, thank Guido D'Arezzo. Definitely recommend looking that up and exploring it with your students. We've done it in group workshops here at Colorful Keys, and it's been a treat to go through. Really wonderful. That's a side note, though. I won't get off topic. So he along with that, created something similar, what was basically came to be Salfa. It came from a hymn, and he just was taking the syllables of the first word of each of these notes in the hymn, so that he could have this major scale, right? So he just used it as an example because everyone he was teaching knew this hymn, and it was an easy reference point. So that's where the syllables came from, but Do was originally ut or ut, and then it changed into do at some point. I'm not, as I say, going to go through a detailed history of the year, but if you're interested, you can look at it up more. I did want to give that brief rundown, though, because I think it helps frame where this came from, and I also think it's important to give a nod to the people who came up with these fantastic systems. So Sarah Glover based her sulfur work, her Norwich sulfur system, as it was called, on this original system by Guido. And the only change she really made, apart from the do, which had already been changed previously, was to change C to T. So the seventh scale degree, the leading tone, that was T in her system rather than C, which explains why people who use fixed do, like in French and Spanish and things, they use the sulfur names as their actual note names, the way that we use C, D, E. So people who use that system normally call it C, they don't call it T. So that might explain some of that confusion if that's ever come up for you. She changed that to T so that each syllable would have a different letter to start because the way it was, so and C, the old C, were starting with the same letter. Hope you're following me so far. She was using that to teach her Sunday school students how to sing a cappella and John Kerwin was really inspired by what she was doing. He thought it was incredible and he was looking for a way to teach the other teachers of Sunday school choirs a system for them to teach their students because he was touring around doing that. So he borrowed that from Sarah and he added the Kerwin hand signs, the hand signs, which were then named after him. So he was the inventor of these hand signs. So I talked briefly about why these are useful and what they are. Definitely look up the images as well to go along with those. But let's dive into a little bit more about why you would want to use them in your piano studio or your private music teaching space specifically. These are more commonly used in classrooms. I first really got into them. I had heard of them and seen them a little bit, but I really got into them when I did a 
week-long Kadai course back in 2016. And I met these hand signs through that course. Now, that course is mostly designed for classroom music teachers, or at least that's who takes it. They very much say they're open to instrumental teachers, but there's generally very few on it. I've been on it twice, and I'm usually in the minority. It's mostly primary and secondary school teachers. So that's the context from which they're teaching it, and there's a lot of work that would be used in a classroom. But I'm happy to adapt that for my own teaching, and I think it's a really interesting thing to explore. So when I came from that course... I had learned a lot about Zalfa and the hand signs were fairly new to me, but I started bringing them into my studio and I quickly saw the benefit for myself and for my students of using these hand signs. It gave us a concrete way of working through little singing exercises and for me to direct them. So when I have a group of preschoolers in particular, any group of students really, I will do the hand signs and just just tell them to follow me. And I'll do the hand signs and we'll sing together. I won't even specify that they have to do the hand signs too in the beginning. I'll just do them and it's a way for them to follow what I'm about to sing. Because the hand signs slightly go ahead of where I am singing. So it's just a simple way to direct people to sing together and work on these patterns. And we can do that for several minutes and really hold their attention just singing random sulfur syllables up and down and in different patterns. It gives us something to focus on, in other words. When the students are using them themselves, they're also using their kinesthetic sense, as I said before. So they're moving, which helps them to learn and digest the information in a different way. The harder we work, the better we learn. This is actually something that comes up. If you ever do like workout sessions with a trainer or like follow workout videos, they will sometimes talk about how they're making you think. Like they'll give you these moves and they're seemingly needlessly complicated to follow in terms of the coordination. It's like, well, why do I have to remember this sequence of moves? But they would say that making you think is helping you with that work. It's actually helping you work harder. And so this is almost the reverse of that in the way. Would default to just moving and then they're making you think. We default to just the thinking part. And then if you make people move as well, you're engaging more of their senses. You're making them work that much harder and learn that much more flexibly and solidly. The other thing that these hand signs are really useful for is inner hearing. So inner hearing is where we hear music in our head, and it can be a really difficult thing to judge whether students are doing it or not. You can tell your student to think through their piece, for example. Hear the whole piece in your head, imagine playing it, and then play it when it's finished playing in your head. That's a really useful exercise to do. It's really useful also to visualize yourself playing it and imagine that along with it. It's really a great practice technique. But for young students in particular, it's very hard to know whether they're doing anything or just staring into space. And beyond that, it's hard for them to grasp on to something like inner hearing. So having self-hand signs is a great way to develop this. It helps them develop not only their inner hearing, but their understanding of what you mean when you tell them to hear it in their head or listen to the music in their head. A great beginning way to start with this is you sing and hand sign a short pattern in solfa. Then you sing and hand sign it together. And then you both listen to it while you do the hand signs as you go through. So it helps you to see that your student is tracking and actually doing each note and develop their inner hearing. That's just a simple example. I've seen amazing examples of this taken much, much further, much further than I'll ever be able to 
fit into a piano studio context, but it really is incredible to witness. I actually tried to look up a video of this for the article, but I couldn't find a good one of this particular teacher that I met at the second Kridai training that I did. But she had these incredible examples. So she was from Hungary, from the Kidai Institute. She was working with a group of students. Now they have substantial amounts of time to teach music and musicianship to these students, right? So it's not realistic for us always to work in this way, but it is incredibly inspiring to see what you can do with this training when you have that much time. She'll have classrooms of students and they'll be listening to a classical piece of music and they're picking out the notes that they're hearing in Salfa with hand signs. So they're listening in silence and they're hand signing along with the music. And they're like, oh, how old were the students in that video? It's, I'd guess like nine. I mean, it's really amazing to watch. It's, it's beautiful. And it's not just an intellectual exercise. They're really feeling the music. They can do so much with these systems. But even at its more basic level that I described earlier in the exercise you can do in your studio, still super valuable and will help develop that inner hearing. So that's the basics of hand science. Are you curious about this? Are you curious about the idea of sulfur? or Kerwin hand signs if you're already using sulfur, or the whole thing in general, or aural work in general, if you're not doing a lot of that in your studio. I would love to hear your thoughts on this, and I'd love for you to take a go through the sulfur skyrocket course if this is something that really interests you. So sulfur skyrocket is a course that, it's a set of lesson plans that I designed to help teachers, even teachers who have never sung in sulfur before to have a framework to go through with your students. I truly believe that the best way to learn this is by doing it and that can even be doing it in the capacity of being the teacher in the situation. You don't have to be a master at singing in sulfur or sight singing or anything else in order to use these systems in your studio and get going with them. So the Selfless Skyrocket will take you through a set of lesson plans and through that you'll learn to do this yourself and it's incredibly valuable. The more you use Selfless in your studio, the more you sing with your students, use hand signs, all of these tools that come from Kadai, the more you'll find use for them the more you'll see the benefit of them. You really have to see this in action. So Selfless Skyrocket can be found for members inside the video library. If you're not a member, you can sign up at vmt.ninja and you'll find it inside the video library as soon as you become a member, if that's where you want to go straight away. Okay, so let me know what you think of this idea. Let me know if you're going to explore Kerwin hand signs, if you already use and love them in your studio. Leave a comment on the article that goes along with this podcast. Or hit me up on social media, on Facebook or on Instagram are the best places to connect with us. You can find us at Colourful Keys with two U's in the word colourful since we're over this side of the Atlantic. That's it for this week. I'll catch you next time. If you liked this episode, you would absolutely love Vibrant Music Teaching Membership. We have the support and the training you need to take your teaching further. Join us today by going to vmt.ninja and signing up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.